0: You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Hot Topics in Allergy, presented by the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I'm Dr. Daniel Ein, president of the ACAAI, an association of 4,000 allergy health providers dedicated to enhancing the care of our patients through education and research. Your host will be Dr. Todd A. Marr. Dr. Marr practices pediatric allergy and immunology at Gunderson Lutheran Medical Center in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Aspirin is something that we commonly deal with in our day-to-day practice,
1: and we're going to continue a discussion that I had with Dr. Stephen Tillis regarding aspirin sensitivity, pathogenesis, diagnosis, and treatment. I'm Dr. Todd Marr, your host. Stephen Tillis is a clinical assistant professor at the University of Washington School of Medicine and in private practice at Northwestern Asthma and Allergy Center. What Dr. Tillis and I have reviewed is an excellent article in Annals of Allergy Asthma and Immunology, July 2007, titled Pathogenesis, Diagnosis, and Treatment of Aspirin Intolerance. All of us use aspirin in our day-to-day life. It's been around for over 100 years. In 1897, Felix Hoffman, a German chemist, formulated a stable form of selosalicylic acid. Since that time, aspirin has been one of the most widely used drugs. It also inhibits platelet aggregation, which makes it the first choice for the prophylaxis of strokes, myocardial infarction, and thromboembolism. In general, it's well tolerated by most patients, but despite the widespread use of the drug, a variety of potentially serious adverse effects leading to hospitalization do exist. That's what we're talking about today. Almost 100 years ago, Gilbert described a form of asthmatic dyspnea, or shortness of breath, after the ingestion of aspirin. About a decade later, Weidel and colleagues observed an association between nasal polyposis, bronchial asthma, and aspirin intolerance. These three symptoms were summarized by Samter and Beers in 1968 and have been designated as the classic aspirin triad, also known as Samter's triad. As a characteristic clinical feature, Affected patients develop an acute asthma attack, which is often accompanied by rhinorrhea, conjunctival irritation, and flushing of the head and neck or myocardial ischemia within three hours of aspirin ingestion. In other aspirin-intolerant individuals, involvement in the skin in the form of urticaria or angioedema can be observed. Recent investigations show overproduction of cysteinyl leukotrienes linked to an imbalance between pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory mediators derived from arachidonic acid which seems to play an important role in the pathogenesis of aspirin intolerance. Clinical manifestations of aspirin intolerance may affect the skin or the respiratory tract, and they occur only rarely in combination. With skin disorders, urticaria, with or without angioedema, is the most common drug eruption induced by aspirin. So I, I liked your comments earlier when you basically said one of the things that we look at as allergists is you know, doing the good history, but then actually trying to differentiate, is this truly something that's needed And if it's needed, then go forward to actually prove that what the patient had truly was a reaction to the aspirin. A lot of times I've seen patients where when we sort things out, it really had nothing to do with aspirin.
2: Exactly. And I think aspirin is sometimes implicated inappropriately. And and on the other hand, it's often overlooked as a possibility of, for example, acute hives in the setting of a of a respiratory infection where everybody blames the virus, but sometimes it is aspirin. So it is an important tool as allergists that we have this sort of knack and experience with knowing when it's safe to carefully administer an agent that a patient may in fact have had an adverse reaction to.
1: So one of the things we can do then, if we've made the diagnosis of aspirin intolerance and have the need for aspirin in that patient, the patient with aspirin-exacerbated respiratory disease and they're suboptimally controlled, is to actually do aspirin desensitization. And this is a valuable therapeutic option in patients with chronic pain disorders or in patients taking aspirin to prevent vascular diseases. And I think there's actually a very nice reference that was recently published in February 2007, Annals of Allergy Asthma and Immunology, on Aspirin Challenge and Desensitization for Aspirin-Exacerbated Respiratory Disease, a practice paper. So, Steve, can you summarize some of what's talked about in this paper?
2: Certainly. This paper is a nice, very concise summary of what we as specialists do when considering whether to perform an oral desensitization protocol on a patient or not. Aspirin desensitization is also called aspirin oral challenge or aspirin challenge. And this has luckily been described in numerous protocols over the years. And this practice paper gives a nice consensus of how we achieve this. Now, it's important to remember that there is more than one manifestation of adverse aspirin intolerance. And for respiratory disease, it's typically asthma and nasal symptoms. And of these we're more concerned safety-wise about a, an asthmatic reaction that could happen during the challenge. So for that reason, we try to stratify patients based on how severe their asthma is, how low their spirometry or their FEV1 is. For example, if it's less than 70% of predicted, then these patients are at a higher risk, obviously, of a, if they're having a bronchospastic reaction. And therefore, that generally is done in an inpatient setting. Once we've convinced ourselves the proper location, perform the challenge, we typically will start with an oral dose of 20 milligrams, which almost never will result in symptoms. And then every 90 minutes, the dose is escalated, at least a doubling dose. So in, say, half a day, if they're not going to react, you'll know that answer. If there is a reaction, which typically there would be, given a a strongly suggestive history, that's not necessarily a frustration. It does alter the plan. Uh, generally, we slow way down on the, on the protocol or call it a day and come around and pick up where we left off the next day. And so using these former reports as our guide and this protocol, there are very few patients who cannot successfully get on a full therapeutic dose of aspirin without any symptoms. The important thing to remember though is unlike for example allergy shots, for example, pollen allergy, where you can get shots every month and remain protected, with this they have to be have to continue to be exposed to the drug on a twice daily basis in order to remain in a desensitized state.
1: So that's one of the things to talk to the patient about up front that I think is spelled out, that we're going to desensitize you will most likely be successful. It's going to take a number of days. But once this occurs, then they need to really have that commitment to stay on aspirin at the dose that's eventually settled upon for them twice a day, every day, correct?
2: Exactly. I mean, if they're not going to remain on it indefinitely, then they at least need to remain on it for the time they need the treatment. For example, if they're recovering from a flare of rheumatoid arthritis, for example. And they need to recognize if they miss a day or two, then has to start all over again if they're going to get back on the drug.
1: Right, because the risk would be back, possibly, to have that reaction that they originally had.
2: Yep, we would assume that they're every bit as sensitive as when they started. As long as they stay on it, they're sort of in this desensitized state that, that's completely dependent on the drug still being in their bloodstream.
1: You are listening to Hot Topics in Allergy, presented by the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Todd Marr, and I'm speaking with Dr. Stephen Tillis, and we are discussing aspirin sensitivity and intolerance. So that's a very nice practice paper that's published again in February 2007, Annals of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, for really the allergist who is going to be doing aspirin challenge and desensitization for the aspirin-exacerbated respiratory disease.
2: I would certainly say that exclusively allergists who perform this procedure, and in fact, not all allergists would necessarily be comfortable doing it. However, almost all allergists would know how to get it done. In other words, have a colleague they know who will do it, and I think that's certainly the avenue to proceed with if a clinician has a patient with this.
1: So, Dr. Tillis, it's been an enjoyable time speaking with you about aspirin, and aspirin is definitely an effective drug that we use for the treatment of a wide spectrum of diseases, but we've really, I think, done a nice review of aspirin and the difficulties in patients that are intolerant. Can you summarize that again for us?
2: Sure. Well, I think it's important to realize that among all patients in the general population, it's close to 1% of them who are intolerant of aspirin. And among asthmatics, it can be up to 20% who, who have this problem. And so realizing that, number one, the problem exists, and then number two, that there is a solution to the problem can be quite helpful. Also, the range of intolerance manifestations is quite wide, ranging from urticaria, as we discussed, to the aspirin-associated respiratory disease with bronchospasm and nasal symptoms, and that the patients who are on this, for example, if they have chronic asthma and chronic sinusitis, that once they're in the desensitized state on the aspirin, their underlying respiratory disease may improve. And so I think that is another indication that we need to keep in mind. And for the general population, the obvious cardioprotective effects of aspirin can almost always be realized, as well as the other arthritis and other indications that make this this class of drugs very important for our patients.
1: Steve, this has been a wonderful discussion. And as we talked about at the beginning, aspirin is an effective drug used for the treatment of a wide spectrum of diseases, and roughly about 1% of the population has hypersensitivity to aspirin and other inhibitors of COX-1, such as the non-steroidals. About 20% of all asthma patients have aspirin intolerance mirrored by exacerbation of the respiratory disease after aspirin ingestion. In individuals with suspected aspirin intolerance, Diagnosis can be confirmed exclusively by means by provocation testing. And as we discussed, this really should be done by an allergist who is trained and well-versed in aspirin provocation testing and the diagnosis of aspirin sensitivity. Patients with aspirin intolerance have to avoid aspirin and other cross-reacting COX-1 inhibitors, and really should try and change to alternative drugs when available. Aspirin desensitization is indicated for patients who have aspirin-exacerbated respiratory disease and whose asthma and or rhinosinusitis is suboptimally controlled with inhaled corticosteroids and leukotriene-modifying drugs. This procedure may be considered for individuals who have required multiple polypectomies for nasal polyp control. Aspirin desensitization can be safely performed by physicians trained in desensitization protocols, specifically board-certified allergist immunologists. Aspirin desensitization can provide substantial benefit to patients with aspirin-exacerbated respiratory disease. Although respiratory reactions to aspirin are induced during desensitization, no deaths have been reported by any of the authors performing desensitizations in the practice parameter that Dr. Tillis discussed earlier. Aspirin is typically given at 650 milligrams twice daily after initial desensitization, but many patients can continue maintenance therapy at 325 milligrams twice daily. Tapering can be attempted if the patient is doing well six months after beginning desensitization. I'm Dr. Todd Martin. I want to thank you
0: for joining us for this program. Thank you for listening to Hot Topics in Allergy on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. This show has been presented by the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. For more information on the ACAAI, please visit www.acaai.org.